Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? So where I wanted to go and why I hesitated before is because this this is a bigger conversation. So I'm just, let me start with this one and then I'll move into the other one. So you said beyond consent is pleasure. What does that mean before I go to the next question? So I, I've begun to talking about consent in two different ways. So much of the consent mm-hmm. conversation and a lot of men's fear around consent conversations is simply the orientation of consent conversations as a way of preventing sexual assault. Oh, Please have those. That's good. That's important. Yes, you need mm-hmm. to have those. Yes, even mm-hmm. if it interrupts the flow. Yes, even if you don't know how to do it and if it kills the mood for you. And beyond that, once you get comfortable with those, then there's another kind of consent conversation you get to have. Okay, now I know what not to do. Now I know what you, what would make you feel unsafe. Now I know where not to touch. But how would you like me to touch? Where would you like me to touch? When would you like me to touch? Can I share with you what really curls my toes? Because I would love for you to bring that pleasure to me. I would love to receive that from Through that pathway of consent, it is not just about getting across that minimum bar. The upper bar is no limit. How far can we push it? How much excitement? How much novelty? How much intimacy and eye-gazing and heart-opening can we create by really being vulnerable with each other? That's what the hope of a consent conversation is. So if you're wanting pleasure, lean into that. Yeah, you know, that. just hearing you talk about the depth of that closeness, I mean, it sounds so inviting. It kind of makes you wonder why it's so scary, you know, so it's helpful to think of that on the other side. Well, scary because we have to be real. Yeah. Right. And, and if you're a man and you've been told men are dogs and men are pigs and men only want one thing and you're sitting there going, I have this fantasy and I kind of feel vulnerable enough with you to share it, but I'm also afraid that as soon as I share it, I'm going to be called a pig. That vulnerability is really intense. It's hard. Yeah. I know that makes sense. You know, this book is filled with so many gems that we can't possibly get to them all, but I wanted to highlight a few more. Let's see. So I want to bring in the intersection, right? So how do you think varied bodies of culture can manage this within the limitations of marginalization, you know? So you tell, you know, say a a man in the African diaspora, African-American diaspora that, that, you know, you get, you need to just put your guard down and you need to get vulnerable. That's not going to land too well because... That's a tough, that's a long distance to go from what he has to deal with on the outside. The first thing I would do is remind him that that self-protection is there for a reason, that it's valid and it's valuable and that he doesn't have to let it down if he doesn't want to. And probably already his nervous system knows if his partner is a safe person to begin trying to open this up. 
if he's feeling confined inside of his restriction and he's wanting to let it out, that's a good sign that his partner has been connected enough and kind enough to invite that possibility out of him. And if on the other hand, there's intense conflict and judgment and shaming and you're not man enough and you're not doing this and I thought you were this and I thought you were that, why would you open up in that circumstance? Yeah, I find that the men that I work with and know really don't seem to understand what vulnerability is. Mm -hmm. And what are your thoughts on making it more user-friendly and less restrictive, you know, and help them understand how restructuring this can enhance their sexual practices? So the piece about not knowing what vulnerability is, when you have chosen to give the other person something that could hurt you because you trust them enough to hold it and that they won't use it to hurt you intentionally. And you also trust that even if they did hurt you with it unintentionally, that they would repair that hurt with you. Okay. So here's the thing. You're going to need to say that again because that was, that was like, much. again, perfection. I know. This is the thing you always no. challenge me on and I love it. Go do it, do okay. it again. Cause that, that was so good. And I don't want it to be missed. So let's make it really concrete. Let's say that you're a man who loves to have your head rubbed. Just the top of your head at the end of a long day that that soothes your system and makes you feel like <sighs> to tell a partner that and to ask for it is a kind of vulnerability because you know that saying that your partner could use it against you. They could say, oh, you need to be a baby putting your head in my lap. You know, what a little boy that is. But if you're vulnerable, if you choose to reveal that information, choose to make that request, you are doing that because you believe your partner is not going to use it to hurt you. But the reality of vulnerability is also when we're vulnerable with each other, sometimes we hurt each other unintentionally, right? Yeah. So you get your head in your partner's lap and they're rubbing your head and you're beginning to have that nervous system let down like, oh, something just letting go of all the tension and armor and pain that I've been holding on to. And then maybe because your partner's scripts work like this, your partner says something like, isn't that better? And it's very soft and gentle, but to you, it feels infantilizing. That might hurt. But vulnerability means you trust that even if you got hurt, you trust that your partner didn't intend it. You trust that at a meta level, if you tell your partner what doesn't work for you in those moments, that they will listen to that. That's vulnerability. The ability to let your guard down and trust that whatever happens here, even if I get hurt, you've got me. And even if you don't, I've got myself. Yeah. I'm going to be able to regulate myself. I'm going to be able to take care of that. I know that me asking to have my head rubbed is not infantilizing. I know that a full grown man might want his head rubbed and that's a beautiful thing that I'm offering you. And nothing you can put on that is going to take that away from me. I knew it was going to come correct the second time. First time was great. Second time was better. <laughs> All right. You know, there's another way that that, that, <clears throat> that that hurt can come about that I'm thinking of, which is you want your head rubbed. I need my head rubbed too. Yeah. I had just as long of a day. 
Yeah. I feel just as tired as you. And yeah. what that makes me think of is, you know, when I've taught and a white bodied student, you know, when I'm, when I'm integrating, you know, anti-racism, anti-black racism practices into the clinical realm. And I'll, I'll say, you know, when your black friend, if your black friend comes to tell you, you know, what is happening for them, it is not helpful for you to meet that with your own trauma. Mm-hmm. Right. And the common response that I've received is, well, what about my pain? And so that's what that makes me think of. It's like, that's not the time for your pain. So in relationship, sometimes I talk about it as empathy is a two-way street, but sometimes it needs to only flow in one direction at a time. And the question needs to begin with, does one person have enough somewhere digging deep to offer that connection, that comfort, that home for the other. And it's very possible, especially in marginalized bodies, racialized bodies, that both of you come home and neither of you has anything. What are you going to do in your agreements with each other to create the space for each of you to go get something to bring back? And how can that be an agreement made out of peace and out of a desire to connect, not a disconnection? So that brings us to the meta communication. And I want to have you expand on that because I like, I like what you did in the book with that. And I, I see it at the core at, of, you know, miscommunication. Mm-hmm. And so I want, I want to know your thoughts on that. Can you flesh that out a little bit? Yeah. So I use this term meta communication in a little bit of a different way than some people might have heard it. I use okay. it to mean if I say something like, I'm trying to connect to you. There are all sorts of intentions and observations and ideas I have about how that's going to happen. And I think I'm putting out all of those things when I say, I want to connect to you. I think I'm saying, I love you. I'm trying to be gentle. I'm trying to let you know that my heart is open to you right now. I'm trying to let you know that you know, this is a way I'd like to connect to you. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. As I say, I'm trying to connect to you. But we're not actually saying all of those things. And so one thing we can do to improve our relationship is get just a little more skillful at being aware of those additional layers and letting them all be clear. I love you. I see that you're in pain. My intention is to connect to you. I'm inclined to come closer to you, but I don't know if that's what you need. So if you would like me to come closer to you, please give me a nod or some indication. Because otherwise I'm going to stay here to respect the distance you put between us. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean I'm going away, and it doesn't mean I'm withdrawing, and it doesn't mean I don't love you. You pad the communication with so much additional information and intention and context so that the partner has so much less room to misinterpret you. Yeah, it sounds so loving and, you know, connected. It allows us to bridge culture gaps, family style gaps, love language gaps by pulling the curtain back and letting every, all the little wheels and cogs and you know intentions that are going on behind the curtain, it lets you see all of them. Mm-hmm. There's nothing hidden. You know, I, 
it, you know, and I think that's, that's especially important in, I mean, it's definitely important in all relationships. I think it's a bit more challenging in mixed race relationships. And I do a lot of work with helping to bridge that because, you know, the culture speaks and then you come together and you're trying to figure out how to make sense out of all these different languages and, and name them and have them be connected. And I see the challenges. And so that's the benefit of, of really creating an opportunity for have a joint communication that, mm-hmm. that, you, that both of you agree to. Yeah, I mean, my deepest learning about this experience came when I was living in India for a year with with families, and I would realize I didn't know why people were doing things, and also I began realizing like if I do something, they're not going to know why. So I had to begin saying like in my culture, that would mean this. What does it mean here? Yeah, that's great. That's great. It's so inviting. I do that when we, at the international school. It's so inviting. Yeah. Acknowledge and validate and appreciate. So important. Let's see. You had something here I wanted to know about, which is how can one become a better asshole? <laughs> All right. So one of the great fears that I think a lot of men have is that whatever their desire is, whatever their behavior is or has been that they haven't revealed to their partner is if I let this out, that's not going to fly. That's not going to be okay. There, that's going to be a problem. And so the in, tendency is the the safe. The no, that's not the right word. The the thing that tries to preserve my comfort at the expense of my partner is for me to not tell the truth. And in that section, what I'm talking about is I'll just use my own example. Right when when I cheated, I was looking for the opportunity for me to name what had happened. And there were a number of different reasons why I think, you know, even in retrospect, it wasn't appropriate at that time for me to say what was going on. But when my wife did ask me what had happened in the past, I I named it. You know, I could have, because it was at that point, years prior that those things had happened, I could have said, I don't want to talk about that. Or I could have said, you know, nothing really serious or whatever. But I had the opportunity to be less of an asshole. I was already an asshole because I had cheated. <laughs> but I had the opportunity to become less of an asshole by telling the truth, by acknowledging it. I had the opportunity to stop the behavior. You know, whatever it is that you feel like is not you being the person you want to be, the partner you want to be, there are ways of hiding it, concealing it, perpetuating it and making it worse or of mitigating it in some way. So it's about being able to speak your truth. And it also sounds like it becomes uh, a catalyst for healing your own. It absolutely is the opposite of gaslighting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just telling the truth. Yeah, that happened. I am not proud of that and I don't like it. And I don't I am angry with myself that I did it, but I did, and it hurt you. Yeah, and and genuinely being empathic about it in the process. Yeah, you said that you talked a little bit. Well, you talked a lot about you know sexual shame and core wounds. Can you connect those? So s- sexual shame can come from a lot of different places. Let me start with core wounds. I think that there's a certain degree to which in our attachment with the partners are we get wounded in our relationships with our families or culture and 
there are characteristic ways that we armor ourselves in order to just make it through. And we bring that armor and those ways of hurting other people to push them away so they don't get too close, so they don't hurt us into our relationships. And it's so important that we begin to recognize where, where was that hurt? How does it show up? What am I doing? What is my go-to script for keeping myself safe and pushing the other person away? Because once we begin recognizing what that script is that came out of our wound, we begin to get some choices about that. And one of the ways that parts of ourselves get cut off in those core wounds is by us being told that some aspect of who we are sexually is not acceptable. We're told that it's, it doesn't fit what's allowed. And that becomes the way that we start trying to be good to fit into something else, but denying parts of ourselves. And then that sexual shame catches up with us because we're not creating sustainable behavior. We're not creating sustainable agreements and we still are who we are. I love how we talk about parts of self, you know, and the integration, the importance of integration. So that really resonates with me, how you frame that. You know, this book is truly a guide that people who identify as male can use in, in redesigning their approach to sexuality and literally becoming a better man. I think it's a great name for the book. I want to thank you for writing it. And as I wind down, I just have a couple other things to cover. Okay. And you get the outro as agreed upon. All right. All right. You know that I, I, I know that this is going to inform my clinical work with men. And that's an important piece of of work yeah to be redundant but work that you've done because it, it was work you you pulled this together and it was work and so i i i it's gonna inform what i do and i appreciate that and then i want to i want to get to one more question and then i want to get to something you posted okay so do you think men have to accept their pain to develop empathy i i don't think there's any other way I mean, if you, if you can't accept your pain, I'm thinking of a, a Baldwin quote. If you don't love, you are dangerous. I'm going to mangle it. But, it, you know, if there's not something that you, he says, some, if you, if there's not something that you love, then you're dangerous because if you don't love something, then you don't have any basis for empathy. Your pain comes because you are alive. Your pain comes because you love something. And if you can't pay attention to and integrate that pain, you can't mobilize your love. You didn't mangle that at all. You, 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 you posted something that falls in line with this, which is our culture falsely teaches us that if we argue with each other's pain, we can make it go away. Mm-hmm. Only when we're connected can we be effective in relieving their suffering. I mean, say something about that. Well, that white was, people love this one, right? Oh, <laughs> So. We, we, we love to tell uh, people of color, bodies of culture, racialized bodies, well, I didn't mean to hurt you. <laughs> That's not what I meant by that. You're, you're mistaken in some way. Instead of just sitting with the painful reality, I didn't intend to hurt you, but I did. I didn't know that 
that word or that phrase came from, you know, slavery. I didn't know that that word or that phrase came from this part of a genocide of Native peoples. It's so embedded in my culture, I was unconscious to it. And I have love in my heart, but I didn't deliver love. I didn't make yeah. you feel loved. Yeah, that's great. You know, just to, to tag onto that a little bit, the idea that, you know, I didn't enslave people, my ancestors did. You know, you inherited something there. <laughs> and to take ownership of it is, is the corrective experience. Mm -hmm. That is, that's really so well put. Please let everyone know where they can find you on your social media handles, your website, all of that. Lay that down before we do the outro. My website is drericfitz.com, D-R-E-R-I-C-F-I-T-Z.com. And the handle is the same, at Dr. Eric Fitz on all social media. And I get to do the outro now? Okay, one more thing. Will oh. there be another Men's Summit? I'm not sure, right? I'm just okay. riding the wave of launching this book right now. Understood. Understood. Okay. You're going to get the outro. I'm just going to take one second to say that I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank you for all that you bring to our profession. I have much pride in being your colleague. You may outro. Thank you very much. JD, you have always been for me what you promised to be a truth teller. You have amplified and pur purified my impulse to be of service. I have loved and been loved by black bodies, so your intense protection of, anger on behalf of, and love of black bodies matters so much to my body. I believe I speak for a lot of listeners in thanking you for your work to change the narrative. I'm so grateful to know you. I'm so honored to be in this conversation with you and to have my voice lifted up by you, and I hope that my work has, does, and continues to honor you as one of my teachers. Ah, I'm taking it in. That was a lot and beautiful, and I felt it so deeply. And thank you so much. I appreciate you. You know I value you and love you. I appreciate you and value you too. I love you too. All right, we're going to end here before both of us start weeping on air. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.